0: He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is that this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. I have to find it, sorry. Here go. And above all beasts in the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. All the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Our Gospel reading today is from Mark 3, 20 to 35. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Bezebel, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to say to him, and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let us pray.
1: Lord Jesus, help us not to be put off by you. You talk in ways that often make us uncomfortable. You intrude into areas that we would prefer to keep off limits. You make demands upon us we don't think we can meet. Sometimes you confuse us and push the boundaries of our comprehension. Give us the grace, Lord Jesus, to hear you when you speak, and upon hearing you, to receive you, and in receiving you, faithfully to follow you as you are, rather than as we would like you to be. Amen. Our passages today are about broken relationships, which is a timely topic in today's day and age. For many people, this has been a very lonely year and a half. We've been physically distanced from beloved friends and family. Many have seen relationships broken or ended because of political differences or behavior during the pandemic. Countless thousands have lost loved ones to COVID-19. And as we begin to get back to normal, whatever that means, it just feels like there are these walls up between people that didn't used to be there. It feels also sometimes like everyone everywhere is on their worst behavior because we're just all so tired. That is exhausting and it does damage to our souls. We need to recognize the need for healing from this difficult time. Every therapist I know has been overwhelmed this past year by new clients. Out of curiosity, I looked up this week what the suicide rates were in 2020 because early on in the pandemic, many people were projecting that suicide rates were going to skyrocket because of uh, distancing, physical distancing, and I wondered if those rates um, would indeed prove to show that because of the conversations I've had with friends who are in therapy and counseling who are saying that the need for good therapists is exploding. And here's something interesting. Overall, 2020 continued a downward trend in suicide rates. The past few years, 2020 included, have actually seen drops in death by suicide which sounds really great. Here's the problem. Those are the rates across the entire population of the United States. In communities of color, the rates did rise in 2020, as they have been doing for several years. In families living in poverty, which has become an increasing problem this past year with closures of businesses and loss of jobs, uh, youth are at significantly higher risk of death by suicide. In fact, as income levels go down, suicide rates rise. A report came out uh, recently that up to 40% of LGBTQ persons have attempted or seriously considered suicide in their lifetimes. So overall, the rates went down and have been for a couple of years. But in marginalized groups of people, they are increasing and have been for a while. I think that's significant for us to remember as people who are called to love those who the world pushes to the outside. Lack of reconciliation, inclusion, and understanding is killing people. Pushing people to the edges, judging others, claiming to know the story of a person or a group of people you have little to no real experience with kills people. We were made To be one, but not one as in alone or lonely one, one as in the individual, but one as in we are so connected, not just within our own congregation, but to all the people around us so connected that we are like one unit. Real one is the ultimate end to loneliness. Real oneness is communion with God and one another which brings healing within our own selves. People these days are defined and separated by opinions on topics like gun control, neighborhood, income level, online personality quiz results, political affiliation, you name it. We like to put people in little boxes and figure out which box we're in and who's in that box with us. Even within churches, churches insist on defining themselves as the liberal or the conservative church or the traditional church or the contemporary church or the big one or the small one. But division, separation, being apart, loneliness, that is the crux of sin. And we see in our passage from Genesis it's been happening since the very beginning, as far back as we can trace. Soon as Adam and Eve realize they've been found out. God knows they did something they shouldn't have. They begin blaming others. When they embraced the tree they were told to avoid, the problem was not so much the eating as it was their willful separation of themselves from God, which separated them from one another. They knew right away that they were fractured, they were broken in some way, but instead of coming together to work to a solution, Adam turns and points at his wife, and Eve turns and points at the snake. In their sin, Adam and Eve are separated from one another, and they are no longer one in the way humanity was meant to be. No longer one, but individuals. If what we are doing is driving people apart rather than bringing them together. It is sinful. And that can be pretty uncomfortable. It's really hard sometimes to find diplomatic and Christ-like ways to say things. Sometimes we just don't want to because it's tiring. It takes a lot of work. I've had times where I've had to delete Facebook posts that I posted with the best of intentions but that have turned out to my surprise to be contentious and cause division between two groups of people that I love. And I had to admit that leaving it posted and letting the fight go on was sinful. I kid you not, one time I posted about being at Starbucks and there was an explosion of people who were very upset by that. Having an opinion is not a sin. Letting that opinion cause fights and division, however, is deeply problematic. Yes, Jesus said some pretty bold things that angered people, and sometimes we need to be fairly blunt. But notice that he said those bold and blunt things to people who were already the perpetrators of injustice and division in the world, never to those who were the recipients of that injustice. And we will absolutely disagree with one another, as I am sure you all Well, no, there isn't anyone in your life, I'm willing to bet, with whom you never disagree. That doesn't mean that we all become one-minded automatons. That would be terrible and boring. But we do have to avoid that old my way or the highway response when we differ in opinions from one another. Because God's way is to remember that we are all a family, and sometimes in a family, you bend and share and compromise and shake it up, as all of us well know, having been in our homes for the past 18 months with our spouses and children and other family. There's been a lot of compromise that we've had to do to continue loving the people we live with. In our sin, we are not just separated from one another. We are separated from God too. Difficult, damaging, painful separations. As soon as Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden, which wasn't a new thing, they heard him walking in the garden all the time, but this time they hid. Here they are in the most beautiful place created, and instead of savoring the presence of God in that place, they hide from God's presence. Their first sin was not trusting God when they were told to avoid that one tree, and their second sin was avoiding God after they didn't avoid the tree. And if what we are doing, friends, is keeping us or others away from God, that's sin. Sinful. That means if the church is doing something that chases people away, that's sinful. It's bad behavior. I'm not saying you have to cater to the masses and have some sort of peppy rock concert and self-help seminar every week on Sunday morning. It's not about the numbers of butts in seats. You can have a church full of people who are hiding from the presence of God. What I'm saying is I've seen churches sin by having bad music that chases people away. I've seen churches sin because they preach against certain groups of people rather than for God's glory. I've been to churches whose greatest sin is boring worship that nobody knew was ever going to want to stick around for. This week, if, you, uh, if anyone asks you what your preacher said at church, you can tell them she said that being boring is sinful. <laughs> if, they, if they know your preacher, they won't be too shocked. I had someone tell me once that they uh, went to church for their first time. First time ever someone invited them. And they sat down and they were told by a grouchy regular they were in their seat and were going to have to move. I'm sure we've all heard stories like that before. It's not uncommon, unfortunately. And of course, what did that person do? They walked out, never came back. Why would they? What a petty thing to do that drove that person away for good. The Mark passage that Marty read this morning is the kind of passage that lectionary preachers like myself look at and wonder if it's worth taking on this week. It's full of all sorts of weirdness as many of these gospel passages can be, but it was the Genesis passage that saved the gospel for me this week, which is weird because it's not like the Genesis passage is particularly tearful either, but it gives us the traction we need to get into where Jesus is going here. This is all about unity it's about being one unit rather than a bunch of lonely individuals. It's about bridging gaps that sin made at the very beginning of time. Jesus says that all around him are his family. He's not in this passage rejecting his actual mother and siblings, but he's extending the definition of family. He's issuing a statement of unity He's redefining the idea of family, broadening it to mean so much more than biology. It's possible to escape the loneliness and experience oneness with one another when we do this. Jesus is saying your definitions of who is part of you are too narrow. And we are so much stronger when we really truly buy into this. One of my favorite movies ever, and probably always will be, is Finding Nemo. And if by some chance you've not managed to see that movie in the past 20 years, (laughs) I apologize for any spoilers and encourage you to go watch it anyway, the next rainy or particularly hot day we have. In this movie, a little clownfish named Nemo gets scooped up by a diver and taken away to live in a fancy saltwater tank in a dentist's office. Nemo's mother and siblings had all been eaten by a big scary fish at the beginning of the movie, because it's a Disney movie and that's what happens. Um, So of course, Nemo's dad, Marlon, freaks out when Nemo is taken. His only son, his one child left, his only real family is gone. So Marlon goes on this wild journey to find Nemo and bring him home, and he swims with sea turtles, goes to a recovery meeting with vegetarian sharks, and even goes for a ride in a pelican's mouth. Such a great parable for how God will go to any lengths to find us and to bring us back. There is no separation, not even the great wide ocean that can keep God's love for us away. It's also a great companion parable for Jesus' statement that these are my mother and my brothers. Along the way, Marlon meets a blue fish named Dory, and there has since a movie has come out called Finding Dory, which is also amazing. Dory has short-term memory loss and is constantly forgetting what they are doing and why. But she's also eternally optimistic and cheerful and is hands down the best character in the movie, Um, We might have to disagree on that later, but you're not going to change my mind. (laughs) By the end of the movie, Dory has become part of Marlon and Nemo's family. And she's a huge pain to keep track of. She's constantly getting in trouble. She drives Marlon crazy. But because of what they've been through together, their family. Finally, one of the best scenes in the movie is the one that sums this all up really neatly. Just as, I say it's one of the best scenes, but I think they're all one of the best scenes. So you're gonna have to take that statement with a grain of salt, friends. <laughs> but in this, uh, this scene toward the end, just as Marlin and Nemo are dramatically reunited, a fishing net drops and scoops up a huge school of fish right next to them. And poor glueless Dory is scooped right up in the net with them. Marlin has to set his fear aside to allow little Nemo to slip through the net and rally the other fish that are in the net. And you see, in order to save their friend Dory, they have to get all the fish to work together. Dory, unlike Nemo, is too big to fit through the holes in the net. Instead of flailing in fear and swimming in whatever direction they thought might get them out, all the fish had to work together and swim in one direction. So Marlon swims around the outside of the net, and Nemo swims around inside, and they spread the message. Swim down! Everyone work together and swim down! And the weight of all the fish swimming together in the same direction breaks the net and frees all the fish, including Dory. Their unity in action facilitates their freedom. When we are in a scary situation, our instinct is to save ourselves, to swim around and try to figure out how to get me out of the net, but worrying about getting our individual selves out of the net, we will miss the actual solution. There's so much power and so much freedom in being one, in acting together, and showing a unified presence, setting aside our individual interests and demands for the
0: sake of us all. Amen.